All right, Romans chapter 5, uh, that's where we'll be at today. And so, Pastor, let me have the privilege of teaching Sunday school as he's out. Uh, and we're going to be starting at verse 1. But before I start there, um, I wanted to talk to you about how Brother Hunter and I, um, I have been going to the gym. We've been on hiatus because of the holiday season, but he and I have been gym partners. And to me, it's, it's a pretty cool experience, right? But for Brother Hunter, it's a, it's a different story. See, I'm not, as you can tell, the most athletic or most, you know, power lifter or crazy like that. But, you know, to work out and to get some strength and to get bigger, you have to push yourself. I am not used to that. But Brother Hunter, he can push me. And so when we're working out, he makes me do things I don't want to do. And he introduced me to this horrible thing called drop sets. And what it is, is you keep, you know, we did uh, bicep curls and we kept going. I was like, man, it's heavy. And I kept going. I was like, oh, okay, that's great. And I dropped it. He picked it up, put it back on my hand. I'm like, what are you doing? He takes the weight and only drops it five more pounds. And he says, all right, give me more. And I'm like, okay. So I'm like struggling and I'm struggling. And then I'm like, my arms are tired. My arms are shot. I can't do it. I drop it. Again, he picks it up, puts it in my hand, and he drops it another five. Give me 10 more. I was like, 10 more? Are you serious? And so I was, because I never knew what a drop set was, so I thought he was just torturing me, you know? And, and so he keeps going and keeps going and keeps telling me. And to my shame, I ended up yelling at Brother Hunter. I said, no, that's enough! Like, out loud, to where, like, people started staring, you know? And I kind of caught myself. I was kind of embarrassed, but I, I was not having it. I was like, Brother Hunter, stop, okay? You know, and you can ask him about it. I, I literally yelled at Brother Hunter, you know, and a little shameful. But, you know, working out, it's, it's hard. It's, it's painful. It's rough. But it is healthy. You know, it, it's, it's proven to show, you know, immune system growth, health, develop, or muscle development, and prolongs health. And there's a lot of few things that you have to do when you're working out, like your form. How you do it matters. You know, I could have been doing bicep curls like this, right? But that's not going to do anything, you know? And you can quit at any time too, right? But in life, we face tribulations. We face times of peril, times of hardship. And there's a few similarities, you know, with working out. Like, it is painful. It's, it's hard. It's rough. But unlike working out, you can't just quit anytime. That stays with you. You don't get to determine but it also matters. But like working out, it does matter how you go through it, how you face it, how you get it done. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to see what it means to glory in our tribulation. So what does, you know, what's the point of having bad times? What's the point of going through perilous and sorrowful times? Well, God has a process for that, right? If working out didn't do anything for you, why would anyone do it? You know, why would you go through that pain and that, that agony that Brother Hunter put me through if it's not going to do anything for me, right? Well, it's the same thing for our tribulations, for our afflictions. You know, looking at Romans chapter 5, you know, Paul wrote this, and he, he's been wanting to visit the church in, in uh, Rome. He writes to, to the church, and he writes to the Christians, right? You know, Romans chapter 1 to 3 talks about righteousness and, and how it's such you know, it's needed. You know, man is guilty. We're unexcused, right? Everyone from the heathens, the worst evil bad people you can think of, even all the way 
to the pious, you know, those who think that like, oh, I'm not like that though, you know, the Pharisees who, who are well-mannered, who, who know how to be decent human beings, they are also still guilty. They are still, you know, um, in judgment, right? And Paul covers how works don't get you there, how your status, just because you're a Jew or just because you're noble, that doesn't save you, and especially not the law, right? He says none of that saves you. And in chapter 4, he hits it, and he says, it's only by faith alone. And with these Christians, he, he ties in the story of, of Abraham and how his faith counted him for righteousness. And that is what counts. That is what matters. That's how God operates. And so he tells these Christians, like, you guys are saved, not because you're a Jew, not because you're better than those heathens or because, you know, of your status, Right? It's because you had faith in Jesus. You had faith in God that he died for your sins and that he can forgive you. And so Paul establishes that faith saves. And as Christians, you know, we have salvation. And he moves on to chapter 5. Look at verse 1. It says here, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So look at that. Verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified as Christians, as saved people, we are justified. We are no longer guilty. We are no longer condemned. And we're no longer facing the wrath of God. But most of us, we take it there. We stop. Like, okay, yeah, we're justified. We're cool with God. We're good with Him. But no, it's a little different. See, just, being justified is, is a relationship with God. You know, take it, uh, think about it with me. If you had a friend you've always done business with, you know, you, you've had a long history with him and he's been faithful and you guys are good friends, but after time, he begins to accumulate a debt, a big one. And it's not because of misfortunes that happen, not because of something that he couldn't control, but rather because of his decisions. You know, he, he just keeps putting himself in debt to you, to you. Now, you know, as a friend, and you could, as a friend, you could forgive him, right? You just, you just dismiss all that debt. You say, "Hey, we're good, we're okay." But that same relationship that doesn't nurture a closeness. You know, I feel like that person. You think about it, that friend you just forgiven all that big debt for that he could never pay. He's gonna be a little awkward towards you. You know, it's not going to build familiarity anymore. He'll probably you know, say, say hi and just dodge you a little bit. He's not going to want to go to your parties. He's, he's going to be a little ashamed to look at you in the eye. And see, when we think of justified, that's how we think of God. You know, we had this massive debt, and God, he took care of it, and we're good. And so sometimes, we're like, you know, we don't want to look at it, right? Justified, that's not what that means. It goes far beyond than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is that. Forgiving your friend of his debt, that's it. But think about it this way. Justified is when your friend, right, he owes, you know, someone else money. He owes like a giant debt to this man. And this man, instead of just forgiving his debt, he tells them, hey, you, I want you to be a part of my business. I want you to work in partnership with my son. And this is a business he's very involved in, but yet he's willing to give it to your friend who's in his debt with. Wouldn't that create such a strong relationship? This would force your friend to be in a relationship, uh, to be closer with that man, to work with him, to, to talk with him, and to be close to him. 
See, justified isn't just you're forgiven, we're good, let's not talk about it anymore. No, justified is God saying, hey, yes, your sin is forgiven, yes, your debt is paid, but I want you to work with my son. Work with me. Stay with me. Build a relationship with me. I want you to be close to me. You know, it's not, it's not a cool or like, oh, we're good. It's rather a close. It's a bond. He wants to have a relationship with that. And sometimes we forget about that. You know, sometimes God, uh, Satan or our flesh gets really focused on the part of just being forgiven, right? Because if we have this mindset, we still sin. We still do wrong. And if we have this belief where we're just forgiven and that's it, God doesn't want to spend time with us, God doesn't love us, Satan can very easily use that. Oh, you've messed up again? Shame on you. Like, God just died for you, man. I can't believe you did that. You know, and we get, we get convinced, like, ah, oh, that is right. You know, like, we, God just forgave us our debt, and now here we are going to debt again. Oh, that's not how that works. That's not how that works. It's a truth not based on how we feel, not based on, on how we do, on what we do, but it's a truth based on God. God says, I have decided you are justified and that I want to have a relationship with you. I love you. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what our flesh says. This is a truth based on God. This is a truth based on God. And so, therefore, being justified as Christians by faith, we all know that's the method, how God works. That's how he's always done it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. Yes, we're no longer condemned. Yes, we're no longer getting judged. But guess what? God's existence to a believer, to a Christian like us, is beautiful. It's peaceful. A God who is almighty and all-powerful sounds terrifying to a lost person. Sounds terrifying to someone who's being judged, right? But now, as a Christian, as someone who's saved, you have this peace with them. This is your God. He's on, or you're on his side, right? His existence doesn't bring us dread or cowardice or, or guilt. Instead, it's like, man, that's my God. I have peace with him, right? And so Paul is just talking and establishing the beauty of Christianity. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, by whom, you know, Jesus, also we have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory of God. He says, grace, it's, it's available to us because of Jesus, because of our faith on him. We have access to this grace. God is available to us. You know, with that, with that just forgiveness, justification, you know, conception, that friend of yours probably has, doesn't want to talk to you anymore. That friend of yours probably is not going to ask you for any more favors or, or help or even, you know, hang out for lunch. But it goes farther than that. We have grace. We have access to God. He wants to talk to us. We have access to his wisdom. We can, you know, we can read his word. We can hear from him. We have his favor. We have his presence, that, that comfort that no matter what happens, I'm with God. We have his promises, his strength, you know, whatever future he has for us. He's, we have it. We have access to him. He's not like some, some boss or some king that we can't reach. He is our God. He have access to him. And it says, in this grace wherein we stand, present tense, this is an established condition. It's not determined by feeling. It's not determined by circumstances, but by the mercy of the Lord, right? You know, sometimes we, we're not always thriving. We're not always flourishing in our Christian life. And so sometimes we, we feel like, ah, I can't get to God right now. 
let me, let me, you know, figure some stuff out and then I'll go to God. Let me get it, you know, let me set myself straight and then I'll go to God. But that's not how it works. He says, this is wherein you stand. Yes, you might be, you know, backsliding. Yes, you might not be close to God as you, you would like, but this is your situation. You are, you have access to God. You're justified by him. This is who you are now and will be. It's established. It's not like some common, casual feeling that comes and goes. This is your reality. You have access to the almighty, holy, loving God. And Paul says all of that, all of that. And he goes on to verse 3. He says, and not only so. He goes, but wait, there's more. Not only so, but we have glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience. Look at that. Verse 3, we glory in our tribulations. Here's what Paul is not saying. He's not saying you won't have tribulations. He's not saying just because you are, you know, you're chosen or you're justified and God loves you and he wants to spend time with you. Life is a breeze. It's going to be tribulation-less. It's tribulation-free. No. Paul already, he doesn't even address that. He just says, and you will glory in tribulation. He already knows there will be, there still will be tribulations for you but you can glory in it. Now, what does that mean? And what does glory even mean? It's, it's, um, it's a hard definition, but let me just explain it this way. It's kind of like being confident in something that you do well, something that you know how it's going to go, that you can even boast about it. You know, There might be a sport or a video game or, or a, a, a board game or whatever it may be that you're really good at that when someone brings it up, you're confident. You're like, oh, yeah, let's play that game. That game's fun. And you kind of, you, you look forward to it. You, you're excited. You boast about it. You know, for me, it's, it's volleyball, right? I'm not the best volleyball player, but I am confident. No matter what happens, I know it's going to be fun because I, you know, I know how to play. I like it. I'm confident. And sometimes my friends bring it up, like, I'll play. You know, I'll take you down. I'm confident about it, right? I glory in my ability to play volleyball. And is it, and Paul says, as Christians, as those who are justified, you ought to be able to glory in tribulations also. Why? Why should we? How can we get to do that, right? Well, that comes from our relationship with him. That comes from our relationship with him. Look at it. It says here that in verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. When we go through hard times, when we go through trials of tribulations and sorrow and grief, it makes patience. Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, bad things happen to people all the time, right? You know, it doesn't have to, ha- it doesn't just happen to those who are getting close to God. Or it doesn't just happen to those who are, you know, who turn to God. It happens to everyone. But for those who do have a relationship with them, it ought to worth patience. It ought to, you ought to be confident in it. It's only available, this patience is only available to those who turn to God, who have turned to God and remain in him, right? You know, men who, who are unrepentant or those who are running away from God, their afflictions are not, you know, it's not glorifying. Their, the fruit of their affliction, the fruit of their trial is to bring them godly sorrow, is to turn them back to him. But those who are growing in Christ, those who have a relationship with him, you guys know, Life just doesn't get easier just because you have a good relationship with God. It's not how it works. You've seen it. You've been there. But what you go through creates something. 
right? I can go to the gym with Brother Hunter and I can work out. But if my form is lazy or I quit after two sets or I only do three reps, it's not going to do much. I mean, I still went to the gym, right? So the thing is with our Christian life, we will still go tribulations. We will still go through it no matter what. But we have to go through it a certain way. We have to endure. The Bible says here in verse 4, and patience, experience, and experience hope. Experience means, or or patience, I'm sorry, patience means enduring, to endure, to stay good under. So while you're going through tribulations, you know, Paul doesn't say, oh, you can just quit, right? You can just let it go and just say, oh, no matter what happens, you know, God will take care of it. I don't have to, you know, behave according. I don't have to act like a Christian. No, you have to be good. You have to endure it. You have to hold your biblical principles. You have to hold your obedience to God. You have to hold your love for God no matter what happens. Because this is what patience is. Patience isn't saying, oh, you know what? This isn't too bad. You know, look at all the other good things in my life. It's fine. I'll get through this. You know, patience isn't what you isn't doesn't come from how well you handle your afflictions. That's not where your confidence comes from. That's not where your glorying comes from. Not how well you handle it. Not how, you know, how much you've done it before. You know, it's not volleyball. It's not because I know how to play volleyball and I'm good at it. I have confidence in this game. No, that's not how it works. Paul talks about tribulations differently. Our confidence, our glorifying in our tribulations does not come from us, but rather it comes from the character of God. Yes, afflictions come and sometimes they worsen, but those who who are enduring, those who, who have a relationship with God, instead of loosening their threads, instead of loosening their grip on God and bailing out, they cleave. They cleave unto him. They hold on and they endure. They say, God, I know who you are. I know that you're good. I know that you're you're forgiving. I know that you would deliver me. I know that you're my rock. That is where our confidence comes from. That's where our glory comes from. Not because of ourselves, not because of how we've done it before, but because we know who God is. And we know how he is. You hold on, you endure. You know that this tribulation isn't just for fun. He's not just messing with you. It's not pointless. He is molding you. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. See, if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't trust in him, you will not endure the tribulation. And, you, and that, that, that time of affliction will not bear any fruit, right? It's like going to school. You know, I went to school for, I went to high school for four years. And I have been, I've sat with the same people for four years, right? We went, all of us. But yet I graduated and they did it. We all went to school. We all showed up every day. But they weren't engaged. They didn't endure it. They didn't do the homework. They didn't pay attention. Yes, we went through school. But I came out graduated, and they didn't. So we can go through tribulations. We can go through times of affliction. But if we don't endure, if we don't cleave unto God and let him do his work, it, we just come out with fruitless. We come out not, as, not more mature. We don't come out more like Jesus. Look at it in verse um, 4. I'm sorry, verse 4. And patience, endurance. When you endure, when you go through it like you should, and patience worketh experience, and patience experience. You know, Paul is saying, tribulation worketh patience, and patience, going through it, enduring it, worketh experience. And experience means proof, evidence, verified. God's character 
is verified to you. When you go through it and you cleave unto him, you see his grace. You know it. You know it's real. You know that his comfort through this, th- through this storm, through this perilous time is real. You know his strength that he gives you, it's real. Because you have felt it. You go through this experience and you, and you cleave unto God and you do it as you should. You endure it. You're good under all of it. You see the character of God. Not only that, you see our own weakness. You see man's weakness. You see and you know how easily it is, you, how easily you want to bail out. How easily you, you just succumb to, your, to sinful, like, um, you know, desires. Like, oh, man, I just, I just need to break something to lighten the load, right? You see how vanity our earthly possessions are, right? It, that might be a truth you notice. You know, our pri- priorities are, are, are fixed, are, are calibrated to be more like Jesus, to be more like the will of God. You see the power of the word of God, the promises it gives, the hope that it has, the truth. The light it gives you, you see it, you know it. You get to grow in your knowledge of God and His grace. You know, what does that mean? Like, you get to know it better. You know, someone who has never endured tribulation, who has never gone through it correctly, they may believe, truly, they may believe in the sustaining power of grace, but he has never experienced it. He has never experienced it, right? You know, you know about, we all believe that God is our rock, that He is our strong tower. Right? All of us believe that. And some of us, that truth only goes far as to uh, goes as far as to having a bad day. Like, God, you know, you give me strength, you give me comfort, you are my tower. But to some of us, to some of you who have endured your tribulations, that truth of God being your tower, that truth of God being your rock and your strength and your comfort, that takes you through losing a loved one. That has taken you through having a loved one walk away from God. That has taken you through much deeper waters. You know how deep that truth goes of God being your rock, God being your tower. You know it so much better. Why? Because you endured that tribulation. you, You have seen that God has seen you through. You've experienced it. You know it better. Now, I think about David. He takes down Goliath, and everyone knows that story. But you forget that before David took down Goliath, he took down his bears. He took down his lions as a shepherd. And he tells Saul, I've killed bears and lions. And he says this, and every time God has delivered me from the claw and from the paw of the lion and bear. And here's what he says, God will deliver me from this Philistine. Paul, or David has seen the strength of God. David has seen the power of God. And, it's, and he knew God was all powerful. He knew God was mighty, but he felt it up until the lion. Then he felt it up until the bear. And finally he said, you know what? God has got me through the lion, the bear. He can get me through this Philistine. And so he knows. He knows that. He's been proven. He has experience with God's strength. And some of you, you know, you may have experience in more truth. You know that God will always outgive you. You know that God will always um, give you strength, give you wisdom. But in some areas, you you may be a little inexperienced. So whenever you're going through a tribulation, just know that God is growing you in those areas. He wants you to experience those things. He wants you to be proven. He wants you to prove Him. He wants to show you just how strong He is, just how graceful He is, just how merciful and how good He is. Right? The longer I know Him, the sweeter He grows. You get to know God as you prove Him to yourself and to others. 
Paul keeps going. Patience, enduring the trial creates experience. You get to know God and your experience and knowing who God is, not just by knowledge, but by experience, worketh hope. Hope, right? And it's funny because if you look at the world, right? Uh, uh, look at just worldly uh, context. A naive man, right? Someone who's inexperienced, someone who's new to the world. He has the greatest ambitions. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. I told my mom, you know, when I was a child, I was going to be an engineer. I was going to make millions of dollars, right? I was excited. But then I got to school and I'm struggling with algebra. I was like, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, right? So a naive man, he'll go and he's excited. He's ready for it versus a man who's experienced versus a man who's lived through life. His ambitions are a lot more smaller. It's a lot more tame, right? See, in the world, you go out and you experience and you say, all of these things, I've, I've tried it. Not that good, right? Pastor's going through Solomon right now, Ecclesiastes right now, and Solomon, he goes and he tries all of the worldly things and he realizes, none of this pleases me. None of this helps. What Paul is saying for a Christian is different. The more you prove God, the more you spend time with him, the more you choose him. You don't go, ah, oh, yeah, I mean, God's good, but he's, he's not that great. No. Your hope for him grows. Your hope for him is better. You, you become persuaded that him who I have believed him and believed in is, is better. He's so much better. The experience with God is different. You will begin to expect more of him. Just like David, he didn't go and he says, you know what? God delivered me from this lion. God delivered me from this bear. But you know what? I'm going to rely on my weapons this time. No. He says, God took care of the bear. God took care of the lion. God can take care of this giant. Right? He expected more of God. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't let down. His hope grew. His hope was met. You will become persuaded of God. The next time something like this happens, you're ready. The next time something like this happens, like Brother Reese said, he's seen it with his grandkids. He should have seen it with his son. He knows that, you know, God is good. He's done it before. He's done it before. He's done it before. And so your hope grows. But all of this matters if you endure the tribulation. Because if you bail out, if you let go and you forsake God, you don't get to see it. You don't get to prove him. Your hope doesn't grow. And look at it. In the last few verses, Paul says uh, in verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. Paul is saying this hope that you have in God, this expectation, the more you expect from him, it's not going to be disappointed. You know, Proverbs 13, 12 says, you know, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. If you hope for something, you wish for something, it doesn't go through, you get disappointed. And disappointment leads to discouragement, but that's not how God works. That's not how God works. We can see it in David. You can see in your own lives that God always, always pushes through. God always is faithful. God is always there. And it says, and Paul says, he's not going to fail us. This hope that you have of him, these expectations you have of him, it's not going to fail. And he says, here's why. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. He says that the Holy Spirit, he tells you that God loves you, right? He, he, the Holy Spirit in your heart, he testifies that God loves you and that you are his children. I mean, Paul covers it in Romans 8 and verse 16. You know, we are his children. And you can see that this love, 
is unconditional. It's, it's, there's no, like, there's nothing stopping it. Here's why. Look at verse 6. He says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Without strength means incapable. Like, you, you were not able to save yourselves. And it has the, the, the context of morally, right? You were uncapable. You were weak without strength morally to save yourself. To the point, like, it's, like, sick. It has, also has, like, the connotation of, of being sick, being unable, disabled to save yourself. Yet Christ died for the ungodly, right? And we've heard that. You know, we've heard that story. And sometimes, you know, even with me, I, I hear that story, Christ died for me. And, and it's something like normal, right? Yeah, we know God is good. We know God is loving. So dying for us shouldn't have been, you know, a big deal. Like, I feel like that makes sense. You know, God is so loving. God is so gracious that he died for us. Yeah, it makes sense, right? And, and we kind of have this conception that, like, it was easy for God. Well, Paul kind of brings it down to our level. Look at verse 8. Or verse 7, he reasons, he says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. Yeah, you know, we look at that and it says, man, yeah, I, I would die for someone, you know, who was noble. I would die for a noble cause, right? I would die for a loved one. I would die for an innocent one. I would die for my child. And, you know, we, we could reason our way through that, right? We could do it. And like, man, I could die for someone. Righteous, someone who is noble, someone who is loved, uh, someone who who has you know a good character. You know, we can reason like, yeah, I I could see myself. I could probably take a bullet for them, right? But then Paul contrasts this immediately. He says, "But God commended His love toward us. He loved us so much, and that while we were yet sinners." Not someone who was righteous, not someone who was noble, not someone who who has some merit. No, in God's eyes, we were all sinners. We were all worthy of hell. And yet he still died for us. It's not, God didn't have the decision of like, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Brother Josh, he's not that bad. I guess I can die for him. No, God saw me in all of my sin. God saw me in all of my secrets, my regrets, my shamefulness. God saw it all, and he still died for me. And God sees all of ours. All of our sins, all of our secrets, all of our regrets, all of our skeletons in the closet. And God saw it all, and he still died for us. And it wasn't because of duty. It wasn't because of obligation. Paul says, because he commended his love toward us. See, God's love has already been tested. It's already been proven. And it's everlasting. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And he's alive to this day. To this day. And so our hope that God will pull through, God will take care of us, is proven in his love. He died for us. He's shown us that he cares for us. He's shown us that he's not going to fail us. He's shown us that he's there for you. So I challenge you, Christian, know and recognize your current standing with God. He loves you. You're not just forgiven. You're justified. He wants to work with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Work with him. Have a relationship with him. And ground yourself in it. Don't let Satan or your flesh or your even your current circumstances or your emotions tell you anything else. Be rooted in God. Establish it and face your tribulations and glorify in it, knowing that God will take care of me. Cleave unto him and endure it. Go through it. That you may grow your knowledge of God and his grace, knowing that the hope will never fail you because it rests on his love.
And you know, if you're here today, you, you're not saved. You don't know who Jesus is. You're not justified. You don't have that relationship with him. Every time something bad happens in your life, you're scared. You're just like, oh, I, I guess I just got to grip my teeth and bear through it. There's hope. Jesus died for you as well. Jesus wants to know you. He died for you. He wants to meet you where you are. He says he died when you were a sinner, not when you got your life together. He died for when you were a sinner. He wants to meet you where you are. Then he wants to take you away. So I challenge you guys, when you face your tribulations, glorifying it and cleave unto God, saying, you know what, God? You can take care of me. I know who you are. And you can experience just how good he is. Let's pray.